Flour is the foundation of making great bread and you really need to get the right flour. If you think of it this way, that's what bread mostly is, right? It's like 90% flour. So it's really crucial to start with the correct high poly flour in order to get the best loaf of bread that you can. So it's just like making spaghetti, right? You want to start with really good tomatoes. Well, same thing with baking bread. And it also happens to be the number one problem with new bakers that they, they start with the wrong type of flour. And therefore, it's hard for them to develop proper gluten. And it's hard for them for their doughs to proof properly or even bake properly. So welcome everyone. My name is Sheila McCann and I opened House of Bread in 1996 and I have taught thousands of people how to bake. And during our in-store baking classes, I often start by asking the students what challenges they had while they're baking bread at home. And more often than not, the motivation to take the class is because they really were struggling to learn to bake at home. Either that or they're too intimidated to start or they just didn't know where to begin. So the number one problem that they had at home is that their loaves would come out underdeveloped, which means basically it came out short, dense, and it may have lacked flavor. The culprit is usually they started with all-purpose flour. Now, one would naturally think that all-purpose flour wasn't packed all-purpose. And all-purpose flour is not necessarily bad. In fact, it's the type of flour that I recommend for the quick breads, bars, muffins, scones, and cookies. All-purpose protein content varies by brand, and basically it ranges from like 7 to 12% at tops. And we really need to have at least 12 to 14% for making bread. And in cake flour, cake flour is even worse, as the protein content in cake flour is typically less than 8%. However, cake flour is perfect for making cakes and other pastries. So the general rule is that if the recipe calls for yeast, then use a bread flour, which is going to have a higher protein level. What you're doing is when you're kneading to get to that good dough stage, you're developing that gluten, which is actually just a protein strand. So that's if you start with a higher protein flour, it'll just be easier to get to that good dough stage. Conversely, you do not want to develop the gluten in your pastries or quick breads, or certainly not cakes, because the resulting product will be tougher. And this is why in those recipes, it calls for you to mix the dries separately from the wets. And then you mix the two together and you just barely incorporate it and no more. And people usually come to the bread baking world from having made cookies, right? Um, and so they develop the habit of not over mixing. But with bread, it's the opposite. You really need to knead, right? It, it's got to be mixed. Okay, so the bottom line here is to use a bread flour for breads. And if you're making anything else without yeast that calls for baking powder, sodas, or other leavening agents, then use an all-purpose flour or pastry flour. Those flours contain a lower pro protein or gluten content. And I can actually tell my bakery if they use the wrong type of flour for the muffins. So we have a blueberry muffin, which is pretty cake-like. And it's made with white flour, white sugar, butter, baking powder, and blueberries. If they use the bread flour or if they overmix it and get a tough muffin, I mean, really, no one likes a tough muffin. And so my white flour preference is for unbleached bread flour for making anything that contains yeast. And the bleaching process used to white flour involves chlorination, while unbleached flour is, is light naturally through an aging process. So they both are bleached, but one is done naturally and the other with chemicals that are added to speed up the process. And basically any time in production you can speed things up, that saves money. And it's usually at the expense of your health. So I'm a firm believer in that we want to avoid chemicals in our food. 
and also the bleaching process depletes the population of microbes in the flower, making inoculation slower and more difficult, which basically means your sourdough starter won't develop as easily, for example. But even if you are not making sourdough, bleach is not something you want to put in your body, period. And if you think of Wonder Bread, it is more white than white, right? And that's what a bleach flour loaf looks like. And I used the loaf of Wonder Bread as a marketing prop next to our loaf of Grandma's White. And I listed the 29 ingredients for Wonder Bread. Yes, it has 29 ingredients. We're really just mostly results in a chemical sandwich bread that'll last for months. And for those of you who are curious about the Wonder Bread ingredient list, I'll include a link in the show notes. And the ingredients for Grandma's White basically is just honey, flour, water, yeast, and salt. The funny thing is the Grandma's White Loaf went moldy in about a week, and the Wonder Bread Loaf wasn't moldy. So I ended up taking the display case down, and I kept the Wonder Bread in the back of the bakery, and I was curious when it was going to turn moldy. Well, guess how long that took? Well, it went on for months. Literally. It was like four months later. It was not really even a mold that developed. It was kind of more like a blackish, dark green dust. So I took the loaf and I put up another display that read, Grandma's White will stay fresh for one week on the counter and then it's going to get moldy. Wonder Bread lasts for several months and if mold won't grow on it, neither will your children. Okay, back to flour. Now I'm going to talk about, it's actually pizza flour or it's called Italian pizza flour or double ot, and the flour is double zero is the proper term for it. Anyway, what it is really, it's finely milled white flour. It's primarily used for pastas and pizza crusts. It's typically milled from a soft wheat and often referred to as Italian pastry flour. And the double zeros basically have nothing to do with the gluten content or the protein, but rather the fact it's finely milled. And the flour ranges in protein from 5 to 12%. While you can use the double out flour for breads, you want to find the double out flour with a higher protein content. And however, in the United States, the flour is more expensive and the extra cost is really isn't worth it. Perhaps for pastas, but I'm the bread lady, not the pasta lady. I don't really know as much about the pasta end of the world. And I will tell you, though, that if you're going to bake in a pizza oven that gets over 400 degrees, or actually probably over like five to 600 degrees, let's put it this way. If you're baking your pizza in less than two minutes, then you really do want to use a double out flour. It really will stand up very well in those extremely high temperatures. Whole wheat flour. As the name implies, it includes the entire wheat kernel. And the wheat kernel is incredibly good for you. I mean, bread's really gotten a bad rap lately. And quite frankly, it's deserved. And it's deserved because 99% of the bread produced in America is nutritionally void and contains ingredients to save time which basically equates to saving money for the mass producers. I mean, Americans during the industrial era, we really revolutionized mass production. You know, really, what's a great thing in general? Okay, so we had, you know, cars, right? Appliances, clothing, etc. And unfortunately, that automization and reduction in cost mentality, it really does not belong in our food production. The mindset of making more money by reducing costs in mass-produced breads results in some truly unhealthy breads that are nutritionally void. And it does make you fattening. And so I can't tell you how many times I hear about how thin I am and I do I, I must not eat the bread. 
Well, I'll eat a lot of bread. And but my bread is nutritionally dense. I mean, quite frankly, it makes you feel fuller longer. So you're not going to snack on, you know, nutritionally void foods. And where we're commercial breads, I mean, first of all, it's full of like high fructose corn syrup and all those kind of things. And that basically suppresses your hormone. And it's called a leptin that tells you you're full. So, you know, there's a reason like Weight Watchers actually recommends whole grain breads for weight loss because you'll feel fuller longer. And that's why home baking is such a great skill to learn because you know exactly what you're in it, what's in it, and what you're putting in your body and what you're putting in the bodies of, of your beloved family members. The wheat kernel is where we get white and wheat flours from. It's basically, it's divided into three main parts. You've got the outer layer or the bran, the inner starchy layer, the endosperm, and that's where we get white flour from. And then there's the tiny embryo at the base of the kernel called the germ. Incidentally, white flour is not necessarily bad for you. It's just not as good for you. It contains roughly 20% of the nutrition of the wheat berry, but yet it's about 80% of the mass. And how they get white flour is basically they sift out the bran and the wheat germ. And so they basically take out the nutrient-dense part of the wheat berry. But these hard objects in the whole wheat flour are also what makes it harder to make whole grain breads. It's really because the bran and the wheat germ, it cuts into the gluten development. If you kind of think of it like a corkscrew, like a, a twisting thing that's being developed through the kneading process, and then you have those hard things added in there. So you have to use a different process, which is basically called a sponge bread. Um, and it's something that I'm going to discuss in another podcast. It's also why I call the white bread the no-brainer bread. It's much easier to get to the good dose stage and the development of the gluten without having those things cutting into it. And I'll include a link below in my show notes for articles discussing the benefits of using the entire wheat berry and truly how nutritious it is. The key point in purchasing whole wheat flour is to get stone ground whole wheat flour in order to secure all the nutritional value of the whole wheat flour. So commercial breads, basically what they use flour that are milled in high speed rollers. And what happens? It gets super hot like over 450 degrees and basically it kills everything. So the U.S. government makes them add it back or enrich the flour, but really they're only bad adding back the iron and the B vitamins, the riboflavin, the niacin, and thiamine. When I remember experimenting with some hard crusted breads years ago and I turned the oven up to over 500 degrees and at that time our sheet pan liners with basically uh, it's parchment paper but they were lined and anyway the whole thing all the liners caught on fire and, and and so you can imagine i mean i had like whatever 36 pans in the oven they're all on fire and that's when i actually learned that paper burns at over 451 degrees needless to say i had to throw all those charred black loaves out at house of bread we use freshly milled wheat flour that is brought in directly from montana and so i did grew up in Montana and I am pretty partial to my home state but I do believe that Montana has some of the best flowers for making breads and just as the best coffee is grown in high mountainous regions if you think about it you know the Columbia and Hawaii they're all kind of mountainous areas well same thing for making bread so it's the Dakotas Montana and that's where for bread to get the higher protein it's grown in the high mountainous climatic regions and I used to order the wheat berries and mill my own flour in store. 
But in 2009, I had to move the bakery from a high rent district of a 2,300 square foot pace, space, and I moved into space about half size. And I got to be honest with you, I don't miss that metals mill or the flour that came out of it. The machine was noisy and it was dusty. And at one time I had fire coming out of the back end. And literally, it wasn't just smoking, it was fire. I mean, I was kind of scared of that thing. And then what happened would be the stones would start to wear down and I'd have coarse flour. And what happens with coarse flour? It cuts in your glute development. Then we'd end up with short squatty loaves and then I'd have to go troubleshoot with my bakers. And so we'd go look at the flour and if it's coarser, that's what happens. So basically the stones wore down. So then I'd have to adjust the stones. So now I order from Wheat Montana, then they mill it with, they do like, it's called, a, it's an air prop, it's a low heat process. And then they ship 50 bags to me. So I got to order a pallet. So I get 50, 50 pound bags at my door. And what happens is, is the trucker just takes the pallet and he unloads it right in the front door. So that's when we're all like, okay, who wants to get a workout? So we have to haul all those 50 of the 50 pound bags inside the bakery. So we find that the best bread use a combination of two of Montana's whole wheat products. And I will include a link to Montana's website in the show notes. And there's a lot of other great brands out there too. I'm pretty partial to Bob's Bread Mill. And I also will use King Arthur. If we run out of flour, that's what we're using. Bob's Bread Mill and King Arthur. Um, but Bob's Bread Mill is an actual mill where King Arthur does not doesn't do any on-site milling anymore they used to but now they basically farm it out to other millers and they set up specifications for their flowers so we use a high protein hard red spring wheat for those not familiar the red spring wheat gives a more of a wheatier taste and a heartier loaf this grain is naturally air dried has plump kernels it has a low, low moisture content and it is excellent for baking bread additionally the wheat berries are certified chemical free from montana we also use a white spring wheat, or what used to be called gold flour. It naturally has a golden color, and it makes 100% whole wheat baked foods that are a little lighter and a little sweeter. And for marketing purposes, about 10 years ago, they changed the name to the gold whole wheat flour to a white whole wheat flour. You know, it really just makes it super confusing. I and mean, so it's like, okay, so the recipe calls for white whole wheat. What's that? And well, that's what it is. It's really, really a hundred percent whole grain product made with a gold flour. And the reason I like to balance the two, because the red helps make for a strong gluten strand and a dough and the gold will make the dough produce a better tasting loaf. So the gist is get bread flour for making breads, pastry, or all purpose flour for making anything without yeast and to get stone ground flour for whole wheat flour or, or flour that is milled at a low heat process. Now, if you want to go one step further, you can mill your own wheat berries. I mean, the advantage is that the flour will contain all the nutrition and it actually, there is a taste difference. It does taste a little bit better. And if you think of it this way, just like using fresh ground coffee tastes better when you make your coffee, same thing with wheat berries. And it's because there's less time for oxidization. However, I will tell you that it's time consuming and it's noisy. And I'm a businesswoman and I look at things at a return on investment. You know, the time and energy it takes to mill your own wheat berries, is it worth it? 
I I would say for the home baker, no. Unless you want to further advance your skills and get to the very, very top of that that mountain, then consider getting your own mill. They're also expensive too, by the way. You can buy stone ground flour. And before I opened House Bread in 1996, I tried baking bread at home. And, you know, quite frankly, it just wasn't turning out. So I thought, well, maybe it's the flour. So I purchased some wheat berries and started milling it in a mill. And I remember it costing me $299 then. Um, that was a lot of bread back then. Okay, so now they're, they retail for about 1000 But you can get, and I'm going to have a section on equipment. But if you have a mixer, a lot of times you just can get attachment if you're really set on milling your own wheat berries. So if you have the time, and I will tell you this, is that the mills have vastly improved. And you just want to make sure that the flour that you mill, that it's milled very finely, okay? Because coarse flour will cut into the gluten development, which is going to result in a short, squatty loaf. And so the tips are for home milling your own flour is only grind as much flour as you plan to use, right? So the freshly ground whole grains, they get rancid very quickly. Um, and whole grain kernels will keep at room temperature indefinitely. And one cup of wheat berry is going to get you about one and three quarters cups of flour. And one pound of wheat berries is approximately four and a half cups of flour. Now rye flour. Rye flour typically comes in light, medium, and dark varieties. These refer to the relative amount of bran and germ each one contains. Rye also comes in 100% whole grain rye flour, which is called pumpernickel. While light, medium, and dark ryes are sifted to remove some of the nutrient-dense bran and germ, pumpernickel flour is unsifted and made from the entire rye kernel. That said, I found that labeling is inconsistent among flours. Many companies will simply label their product rye flour without even mention what type of rye it is. And because the U.S. Food and Drug Administration doesn't regulate how much whole grain a product needs to be contained to bear that label, any type of rye flour may bear that description. A general rule of thumb is, though, that the darker the flour, the more intense the rye flavor and more dense the loaf will be. And a loaf made with light rye will taste closer to a regular wheat bread. And if you have a choice, I recommend using a medium or dark rye for the best flavor and texture. Rye flour also has a much lower gluten content than wheat. That is why most rye breads actually contain a combination of rye flour and wheat flour. And be careful not to add too much white flour or the loaf will be lacking in the characteristics of a rye bread. I mean, a few tablespoons of dark rye flour can give white bread a darker crust. You can give it a little more tang and just a slightly off-white interior. And pumpernickel, because it contains all the bran, will produce an even denser loaf. And you can always substitute one another with the rye flour. Just understand that the denseness will be affected. And also, if you're going to use a pumpernickel or dark array, you may want to consider utilizing a sponge method, and which is what I use for my whole grain breads. And I'm going to talk about that in an episode in the future. Okay, so the gluten-free flours. I, I'm just going to touch on it briefly because um, I'm going to do an entire episode on gluten-free flours because there's a lot of them and they're very interesting and they all behave differently. But I want to tell you folks that think that they are gluten sensitive because it's been a trend now that's been going on for about 10 years. And I, quite frankly, at first, I kind of just dismissed it as another fad. 
but there is legitimate increases in gluten sensitivity among people. And it's my opinion, it's because of vital weak gluten, right? And that's what they use in mass produced breads. And if, and what, so what I tell people when they come in my bakery and they tell me, oh, do you have any gluten-free bread? We actually do make gluten-free bread. But the same time is, is that I often will just give them a, a loaf of honey whole wheat. Well, I can ask them, see, San Luis Obispo is kind of one of those white bread communities. And so I'll ask them, you know, if they've been to Europe, do they eat the bread there? And, and it's pretty surprising. A lot of people in San Luis Obispo have been to Europe and they'll say, yeah, they never had any problem eating bread over there. Well, that's because the Europeans don't add vital wheat gluten. And so nine out of 10 times they come back after I gave them that loaf of honey whole wheat and they'll tell me that they didn't have any problem. And, you know, by the way, giving a customer a loaf of bread is not really so much about being generous, but it's really good marketing. And I firmly believe that their bodies were reacting to the amount of gluten found in most American breads, virtually all commercial breads. And even some home bakers use vital wheat gluten because it's easier and quicker to get to the good dough stage. They also can use cheaper flours, such as pastry flours, because your bread flour is more expensive. And really, it's all about saving money in mass-produced breads. So I cringe when I see home bakers adding vital wheat gluten. It really is not necessary. And if you take the time to knead and recognize that good dough stage, you don't need it. And the whole bad rap of gluten in, in bread and affecting people, it does have some legitimacy. And that's how we in the bread community, I mean, we all love, okay, we're here listening to this podcast. I mean, you're a breadhead, right? You must love bread. And I love bread. And I hate to see people think that it's somehow bad for them. And keep in mind, I even see that vital wheat gluten in organic breads in the grocery store. And they will list it. And they'll call it organic wheat gluten in the ingredient list. And people think, oh, it's organic. It must be healthier. Not always, people. Vital wheat gluten is a super condensed form of gluten that is not natural. And you know, think of it this way. It's like a steroid. It's a natural producing hormone that's exponentially increased. You know, just like adding steroids has adverse consequences on your body, so does vital wheat gluten. I used to think that adding vital wheat gluten to low protein flour just kind of balances all out. But it's way more than a natural occurring amount. Plus, removing the protein out of a wheat berry is a huge processing activity that is never a good idea with food. A mother nature, mother nature knows best and way more than the common man. And I hope that didn't sound sexist, but you kind of get the gist. And I, I also plan on covering ancient grains in another podcast as well. Okay, so just on substituting flowers in recipe, there's some general rules. And so you can substitute 20% of alternative flour and recipe without too much of an effect on the gluten development, and really mostly 25%. And so if you have a white flour-based recipe and want to add a whole grain flour, such as whole wheat or a darker rye or whole grain spelt, then you likely will have to add some more water to it too. Okay, so whole grains with the bran will absorb more water. And it may take some more kneading time with whole grains. And if you want to add some white flour to a whole wheat recipe, then there's really nothing to worry about, as white flour is much easier to incorporate as it's missing the bran and wheat germ, which cuts into the gluten development. However, most people I find want to swap out white flour for whole grain flours or gluten-free flours. If you want to add a gluten-free flour into an otherwise gluten loaf, you should be fine again at about the 25% benchmark. 
if you want to push it further, just do so incrementally and do it slowly. So you could start with 20% and maybe go to 30%. Uh, and then somewhere in there, you're going to have, have a difference. Um, so you could expect a different shape of loaf. It's likely going to be dense and shorter, but the flavors may be more, maybe better, right? They might be more interesting. And that really, that's the kind of the fun part about advanced bread baking. You can bake to your own taste buds, your own health concerns. Just keep in mind, if you're going to get to the point you want to sub in a 50% of a whole grain to white flour loaf, then I strongly suggest you use what's called the sponge method, which I'm going to cover in the whole grain episode. Okay, where to store? You can store your flour in an airtight sealed container, basically in your cupboard, it's fine. That means take it out of the bag that it comes in and transfer it to another container, either that, either a mason jar, I mean, you can just use a Ziploc bag, whatever it takes, as long as the air has a hard time getting in there. And if you're not going to use it up by the expiration date, then put it in the refrigerator. I mean, the refrigerator lasts uh, probably more than six months, but just say six months. If you want to freeze it, they can freeze it for a year or more. But remember to take the flour out of the cold environment and let it get to room temperature before making the dough. Otherwise, you're adding a cold ingredient to that dough. It's going to delay the proofing time, right? And you could end up with a short squatty loaf. If you think of it this way, baking is about timing and temperature. Thus, you want to be mindful of the temperature of ingredients they're adding to the dough. Cold ingredients retard the proofing or development process. And you can get away from adding, I mean, you can add cold yeast, right? Because it's such a small amount of volume that it's not really going to affect the temperature of the dough. Well, cold flour basically is just too risky. So I hope you enjoyed the show. Please subscribe to this podcast by strolling down to the show notes and or share with your friends. Thanks for listening, everybody, and happy baking.